Episode 89 of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod. In this episode, I'm going to be speaking with Rick Phillips. Rick is 59 years old and has had type 1 diabetes since he was 17 years old, I'm pretty sure, which is a while. I can do the quick math for you. 27, 37, 47, 57, then two more. Two, so 40, it sounds like 42 years. Rick also has had uh, type 1 diabetes throughout his family. His mother was type 1. His aunt was type 1. We talk about that. Rick uh, has rheumatoid arthritis uh, and does a lot of blogging about RA. And I kind of messed over Rick by not putting this episode up when I was supposed to. But at the end, he's going to talk a little bit about his rheumatoid arthritis blog. He does a, a blog week for it that has already passed. Rick, I apologize for not getting this out sooner, but you guys can still check out the blog and look into blog week for RA next year. In the meantime, Rick was uh, was a great guest. He told some really sweet stories. Uh, one of them about how he met his wife and, and asked her to marry her. I uh, marry him. I, I just thought was delightful. It's it's the uh, the title of this episode. That is why this one was called. I was very sure, and she was very hopeful. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box Podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Here's Rick. Looks okay, good. I think I have it. I think you do too. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're uh, a little quiet. A little quiet. Hold on one second. Let me see what I can do about that for you. Is this any better? Yeah. Great, great. And you sound Let me see nice. If I can get the sound turned up. And we have you doing good. Doing good. Okay, say, say something else, Scott. Um, I am excited to talk to you. That's great. Excellent. Yes, I can hear you quite well. Excellent. Great. All right, let me get settled here. Oh, all right, well, Rick, you know, there's no big lead up, just, you know, just going to go. So, um, I have questions for you. So, why don't you introduce yourself and then I'll, I'll ask you some questions and we'll just roll right into it like that. Okay. I am uh, Rick Phillips. I blog at radiabetes.com. Uh, I blog uh, both about type 1 diabetes. I have had for 42 years and rheumatoid arthritis. I also participate at Two Diabetes, um, where over the years I've done a variety of and uh, Ricky Joint, um, which is an RA-centered uh, social media network. So, okay, so 42 years. Uh, that's a long time. And you have a background in your family, right? So I usually ask people if there's other type one in their family, but your mother had it and, yes. your, and your aunt? Uh, my uh, mother was diagnosed in 62. Uh, she unfortunately passed in 86 um, and had uh, almost all the complications a person can have. Uh, my aunt was diagnosed 47. And she passed in 1950 at age 12. Okay, so let's let's just we'll talk about that for a second. So, your 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 aunt was was obviously diagnosed, you know, far far before your mother, and she passed away at 12. But 1947, what was? Are you aware of what her treatment was at that point and what she did day to day? No, I know that she uh, used insulin, um, and I believe that. Um, she was right on the cusp of uh, U20 and U40 um, insulins, and um, but I don't know if she used uh, U20s or U40s. Was her death related to diabetes at 12? Yeah, it it was semi-related. Um, she was in an accident, and um, uh, the doctors determined that uh, her appendix. Uh, was inflamed, and uh, they did not feel comfortable doing the operation, so she passed as a result of that. And the reason they did not feel comfortable doing the operation uh, was because of her type. Really? In 1950, that was enough to stop them? Yeah. Uh, the infection 
was um, the concept of infection was so risky nineteen fifty that they just really felt that um, given her other injuries, given the uh, situation with the appendix, they just could not um, could not proceed so uh, she passed. Wow. Uh, is that your mother's sister? Yes. Okay. And so, oh, geez. Okay. So a number of years later, God, almost how long until your mom, your mom's diagnosed when, when she was 62. So 60, 12 years later, mom was in her early twenties and she was diagnosed uh, and she was diagnosed. I, um, I had been, uh, born and uh, I do remember her diagnosis, and I remember the discussion about what treatments uh, she would pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, uh, my mom and dad, actually my dad, uh, debated using a, uh, a diet approach solving her type 1 issue. Okay. And um, mom went to the doctor's appointment. Uh, she listened to the doctor. Uh, she had the diet. I read the diet. It was, it was a brutal diet. And the doctor promised that she would be healed. Um, and after a day or so, mom, who was incredibly intelligent, uh, mom just told my dad, she said, you know, this is malarkey. And uh, we are not going to do this. Um, her faith was in uh, medical science and um, proven science. And so she started a, an insulin regimen. Uh, she initially started on U40 insulin um, and used it for a number of years. But, of course, it had all the associated stuff. You know, uh, you had to wash your test tubes, you had to, um, um, you're boiling things and yeah, yeah, boiling stuff, big needles and, and <laughs> yeah. And no, and no testing, right? That's urine testing at that point still. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you had to sharpen your, uh, one of the, uh, you know what, Rick, you cut out for a second, but did you say you had to sharpen the needles? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got a sharpening stone and, you had to uh, sharpen them every once in a while. That's insane. Okay. All right. So, and then that, and that, I don't want to get away from it too easily. So, but your mother passes early too from type one. Was it just, do you think it was just the times? Do you just think the technology wasn't there for her to take a, or did she, it doesn't sound like she would have had like a passive role in her care. So she was doing what she was supposed to be doing. It just didn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was doing everything she was supposed to be doing. Uh, Mom came blind in uh, the early 70s, and uh, her neuropathy, uh, you could not believe the neuropathy. Uh, Her feet looked like two watermelons. As a matter of fact, at the autopsy, at her post-death autopsy, she had more than 100 broken bones in in her feet. which she could not feel, thankfully. Right. Uh, but uh, she had that, and then she also lost kidney function in uh, the late 70s. So she was doing precisely what she was supposed to be doing. The difficulty was that uh, the insulins were not refined enough, and there was not enough um uh, technology available to actually care for her. Right. Yeah, there's you can't test and know where your blood sugar is and make adjustments right. and things like that. You you're getting up in the morning and just shooting this insulin and going about your day. Right. Yeah. And uh, hoping that you don't go low and and truthfully not knowing if you're high. Right. You, you know the no idea. Urine testing um, when I was first diagnosed I used urine testing and the urine testing is really an account of what happened three to four hours ago. So you got a four plus, which is how the urine testing was measured. Um, that meant that three or four hours ago, your blood sugar was high. 
So you're always chasing, uh, always chasing getting it down. And uh, we used the exchange diets. We did not count carbs back then. Um, and it was, we, we really were chasing uh, diabetes. Yeah, 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 no kidding. That's precisely what we did. Because if you're hours behind and then the insulin takes time to work, you're really just, you're like bailing out a, a sinking ship, really. You're just, right. you're just throwing enough water over the side that you don't go under. It's, you're, not, you're not making any headway and you're not getting anywhere near plugging the hole. So, right. yeah, that's, that's really something. So I'm, so I'm assuming, but I'm going to ask you as a question, did your mother's experience make you very interested in updating your technology and keeping abreast of what's going on with diabetes or did you hit a plateau and just say, this is how I do it. And yeah, uh, it did not make me at all. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I was diagnosed in 74 and by that time, my mother uh, was already in very bad shape. Okay. And I, I had, uh, big plans for my life. There were things I wanted to do, and um, it was pretty apparent back then that when you were diagnosed, you would have about 30 years of a productive life, and you would probably live 40. And so I took that to heart. Um, after all, I had an example. Uh, the example was very apparent. And so I said, you know, I don't think that blood sugar control matters much. And I took off in my life with this notion that I was going to live full bore. I, um, I was diagnosed at 17. Um, and so my wife and I got married when I was 19. Um, we had children when, when I was 21. Thinking, Why, how how long did you imagine you were going to live? Did you think you'd make 50? No. You didn't? No. I thought I could work uh, maybe until uh, 45. And if you were going to have children, then you have to figure, which, which I wanted children, um, you had to figure that um, in order to get a child through college, you have to have them at the earliest possible time. So uh, Cheryl and I got married. Uh, we, we've been married uh, 38 years now. Okay. Uh, Cheryl and I got married and um, uh, I was still in college. You know, I had just completed my sophomore year of college. Um, I had to have a career. So um, when I got out of school, uh, we, we were pregnant for our first child. Um, I got out in May. Our first child was born in August. Um, I started my professional career in January of the following year. I did some, um, I did some little work around and, um, and then I, I was full bore on my career. Well, I wanted to have, I wanted to have a master's. So in the eighties, I, um, I got a master's None of this had anything to do with living longer. No, no. You you were, I mean, what I'm hearing is that you thought your life had a finite, it, it was almost like somebody came to you and gave you the date you were going to die. And you yeah. said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stuff as much into this as I can. And here are the things I want to accomplish. I want to have a family. I, you know, I want my kids to go to college and, and I need a job to accomplish that and, and go, go, go. My question is, um, how special is your wife that she was like, when you said to her, you know, I think I'm not going to live very long, so let's get married and make some babies real quick. That's that's a big leap for her now. Yeah. Um, when um, we we had met in high school, mm -hmm. um, she, she's a very special woman. Yeah, for sure. When we had met, at, we'd met in high school, and the funny story is I'd ask her out three times, and she said no each time. Um, and so... Then I was uh, I was in college. I had just about completed my freshman year, and um, she called me. 
is a pretty big deal for a woman to do in 1976. And she called me and asked me. Uh, we went on a date, and a year later, we were married. Wow. Uh, and she did know and understand um, the uh, situation uh, with diabetes. She did understand uh, my view of it as a finite uh, lifespan. Yeah. And she, um, uh, she, she was willing to take it. I will say that she rejected she said, um, probably more than just about anybody else, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So we have. Well, she didn't, Rick, I'm sorry, you cut out for a second, but she didn't grow up watching what happened to your mother happen. So she was able to be more hopeful and, and, right. and clear minded about the future. And you were, you were pretty sure you saw <laughs> through a crystal ball. Right. Right. I was very sure. Um, and she was very hopeful. Good. Oh. And so it was a good mix. So, so tell me something right now. You've been living with diabetes for 42 years. You said you were diagnosed at 12 years old? No, uh, 17. 17, I'm sorry. So you're, you know, I don't know if you divulge your age, but the math is pretty uh, simple here. <laughs> I, I turned 59. You're 59. And obviously you've now made it, honestly, more than a decade past what you expected. How is your health at the moment? Uh Actually, my diabetes could not be better. Um, in, in my early 40s, I got to the point where I, I'll never forget, I was sitting at my desk, Scott, and I said, I'm, I'm supposed to be dead, mm -hmm. and I'm not. <laughs> I had accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish um, work-wise. Your kids I, were probably I, in their 20s by then even, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, late teens, early 20s. Right. And I said, okay, smokes, I, I really thought I was going to be dead. And I wasn't. Now uh, what? So I started to take uh, diabetes more seriously. Um, and probably that rescued me. Um, you know, my A1Cs and, and stuff are just great. Kidney functions, fantastic. Eyes are wonderful. Uh, no, virtually no retinopathy. Uh, you know, some background retinopathy. Uh, but uh, diabetes-wise, uh, my health is about as good as a person with diabetes can expect at this age and this life lifetime, particularly this lifestyle. Yeah, and and starting when you started, as far as technology and medication, all that stuff goes too. Yeah. So, so, what do you use now? To is your day to day much different now than it was before? Um, oh, technology wise and etc. Yeah, I use a Medtronic pump and a Dexcom CGM. I um, test about ten times a day. Um, I'm very rigorous. My A1Cs are below six. And um, I, I'm I'm very rigorous in what I do. I, I mean, I guess now, like now, it feels like, I guess it feels like you stole this time at this point, right? Like, I definitely stole it. And so, so now, does it feel like something? Someone's coming for it because you you took it and you didn't it didn't belong to you, and or like, or did you just think, wow, I made it this far, maybe I ought to just put some more effort into this? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Um, by that time, my mom had passed, of course. <clears throat> Excuse me. No, please. And um, I really was shocked. I, I expected, I, I truly expected to be dead. Um, and I wasn't. And so, you know, now we have three grandchildren, and um, uh, Cheryl and I have been married 38 years. Now, what I didn't expect was the other side of it. And that is in 99, I was diagnosed with uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And, you know, that's the crazy thing. Um, what I expected would stop my career, uh, diabetes uh, did not. What stopped my career was rheumatoid arthritis. And that's another, um, I mean, that's a, 
that's an endocrine that's an endocrine issue, right? Yeah, it is also. It's uh, autoimmune yeah. autoimmune condition. And so, I, let me ask you before we get into that. Let me just ask you a couple questions um, about your family. So, you have a number of kids. Do any of them have type one or other autoimmune issues? They do not. They don't. Um, we are blessed that um, neither of our sons have type one. And we are blessed so far that our grandchildren do not have type 1. That, that's really cool. Um, okay, so rheumatoid arthritis comes to you about when? Uh, it probably started in the, in the mid-90s. I was diagnosed in 99. 90s, and, you figured out uh, 99. Okay. I was, I was working full bore. Um, and... I went to my endocrinologist and I said, you know, um, he, he's still my, he's still my endo, Dr. Lee. I said, Dr. Lee, I don't feel so good. And he said, well, you know, let me do some tests. And he, he did some tests. I went back to work and, um, just continued to live my life. I, I was physically in trouble. Uh, my, Youngest son, I took him down to um, uh, college for a college visit. I couldn't go on the tour with him. Um, couldn't even I, walk? Yeah, I couldn't walk. And so, so at my next uh, endocrinologist visit, I told the doctor, I said, you know, what happened to those tests? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got stuff right here. So I want you to go see this other guy. And um, he said, he'll talk to you about it. So I go over um, to see the rheumatologist. And I said, the rheumatologist said, what, what brings you here? And I said, well, uh, I'm, not, I'm not feeling so good. I'm not, not walking so good. And he said, son, I'm surprised you're walking at all. <laughs> And um, I was very, very fortunate. Um, I was diagnosed right at the start of using biologic medications uh, to control RA. And I started on a very successful rheumatoid treatment. Um, and it has uh, pretty much saved the, any deformity. I have some in my hands, but not much. And it um, it gave me um, another ten years of working or so. Okay. Uh, but I had to I had to eventually stop. Um, and uh, once I stopped, uh, I was I I was truly lost. I still I still wish I was working. So is that. Yeah, because now, yeah, I mean, you've lived your whole life going to work every day, and and then it's suddenly gone, and not not a decision you have to make on your own. Is that how you found being involved in the diabetes community? Were you looking for something to to busy your time with, or was that before? No, that's how I that's how I got involved. I when I stopped working, I um, i i wanted to go I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to be called a doctor, and so I went back and got my doctorate in education. Uh, I graduated in 2012. No, oh, good for you. And um, intermittently, up up until 2012, I was involved with two diabetes. After I graduated the doctorate program, I didn't have anything to do again. So I decided I would write, see if I could write. 200 blogs uh, in one year, and that's what I did on two diabetes. And um, then in 2014, I shifted my blog to rheumatoid arthritis and diabetes, and I started my own site. Okay, and that's the radiabetes.com. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. And so what do you, what's the, you know, everybody's got a different story and well, a different perspective maybe on the same story, but what do you, what do you talk about mostly on your blog? What, what's the message you're trying to get to people? You know, it's, it's, um, 
it's information, but it's really just about life uh, with the two uh, with the two conditions. I probably write about fifty five percent about rheumatoid and about forty five percent about uh, diabetes. Um, but mostly, I write about both of them. Yeah. You know, like yesterday, I published a blog about employers' responsibility for health and um, how maybe we should uh, consider um, talking with our um, employers about choice um, in things like insulin pumps and and diabetes technology and rheumatoid arthritis medication. Um, so, you know, I, I tend to find a mix and I write more of a mix than I do probably anything else. What kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things when you're writing online, you don't exactly, you know, you don't ever hear from, you know, most of the people who are reading it. And so wh what is it you get out of it? Do you think? So it's December, right? And you're probably thinking, yeah, Scott, I do want to try the Omnipod demo, but come on, man, it's Christmas. I, I got no time. I'm calling BS on that. Of course you have time. It's too easy. It doesn't take any time. MyOmnipod.com forward slash demo. You put in your name and a couple of ding dang boom, it's at your house. No obligation, it's free. Don't let the Christmas rush get you down. Let it inspire you. Ho, 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 I'm getting an Omnipod. That's what you're thinking right now. That's how you gotta go. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, I mean, you can still get an Omnipod. It's not just for people to celebrate Christmas. Anybody can do it. So myomnipod.com forward slash demo. And the next thing you know, tubeless insulin pumping is all yours. Just imagine that next time you jump into the shower, you're gonna leave your pump on, your blood sugar doesn't get high afterwards. Or when you walk past a, a doorknob and you don't flinch because you think your tubing's gonna get all caught and rip off your infusion set. Can you imagine it? Of course you can. And if you're doing injections right now, try thinking about this. Attempt basal rates to bring down high blood sugars. Attempt basal rates to catch low blood sugars. How about, uh, how about that's amazing? How about really small boluses? How about like, I just want to have a snack. Three pieces of this ho, ho, ho candy. I can't give myself an injection just for this piece of candy. I'll let my blood sugar go high. No, 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 you don't have to do that anymore. Just small bolus. Click, click, click. Bolus. Wireless. Tubeless. Magical. And speaking of magical, and I happen to know this. Don't ask me how I know. I've been told, good sources, that if Santa Claus did have type 1 diabetes, he would use an Omnipod. Don't ask me how I know that, but trust me, I'm 100% right about this. MyOmnipod.com forward slash demo, and soon you'll be wearing the same insulin pump that Santa Claus would be wearing if he had diabetes. Now let's let Rick tell us why he loves blogging. I just get a way for me to express myself. I've never thought that what I was going to write was going to influence another person. Um, I don't even necessarily think it's going to help them um, because everybody is so different. The, the only person that I try to satisfy is myself. And I write as a, as a mode of expression about what I and um, it, it helps me live day to day and it does give me purpose. Do you, does your wife read your blog? Yeah. She's my editor. She's your, there you go. Put her <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a horrible speller. Uh, <laughs> and, um, so she does my editing for me. And, and does she make uh, fun of you? Because when my wife reads my stuff and finds a mistake, she mocks me, but that could be a generational thing. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, she doesn't mock me. She pities me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be the same thing, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> always, he always says, "I can't believe, uh, can't believe you you spell can DNA." Uh, if you don't know that, I'm a little bit. I think I'm a little bit dyslexic. Okay, or at least my typing is. Your typing is. <laughs> so, when you read it. You know, if you don't know that, you read it and you say, what's he talking about CNAs? <laughs> Rick, I, I, will, I will admit to you right now, when I type the word because, I type it incorrectly every time. Every time. 
I know how to spell it. It doesn't seem to matter. I type it wrong, and then I just let the computer fix it. I've given up on the whatever the connection between my fingers and my brain is. I've just given up on it for that word. I just I don't even worry about it anymore. You know, um, mine is can and uh, the. When I type, I mean that's when I type the I H-T-E? almost always type E E H. Oh, okay. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you've overcome a lot. I think you can let this go. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when I was diagnosed with uh, diabetes, I was in Disney. In as a seventeen-year-old in Disney in the seventies, what were you doing there? Was it a school trip or a family vacation? Yeah, family vacation. Uh, I live in Indiana and did at the time. And my mom and dad thought um, uh, I, I was 16 at the time. And they thought it would be pretty cool to go down to Disney World. Sure. Uh, I'd always wanted to go. And so we load up in the car and, and head down to Disney World. And um, I got so ill. And my dad noticed it first, and he said, boy, what are you doing? Are you making a uh, travel guide of men's rooms and drink stands? <laughs> I said, Dad, I don't know. Well, my mom kind of She probably so, knew right away, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we got back to the hotel that night, and um, she, um, she did a urine test. And sure enough, I was four plus. And so now my parents have to debate, you know, what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, uh, are they going to go home immediately? Hey, you're not a wealthy going- family, yeah. right? You can't just all get this together and pack up and come back to Disney six months from now. This is a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal that you're there, right? Oh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. And so um, mom and dad decided we'd stay a more <laughs> Just let him keep paying and we'll go on the rides. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, so we did, and oh, I'm so ill. Did she try to give you insulin? No, no. Uh, we got back to Indiana, and uh, she had been in contact with her endocrinologist, and her endo had set up a blood draw for the morning we got back got to go do your fasting blood sugar. So I go in, do my fasting blood sugar. And when we get done, mom says, you know, I think this will be the last time you can have pancakes and all the syrup you want. So let's go do that. And that's what, that's what I did. I think you might've got a little look into your mom's, uh, what she was hoping she could eat again. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, so you, you had a nice big plate of pancakes and yeah. yeah. And, um, and they called that afternoon. They said, hey, you know, you got to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital. And I was there a week. And this is the other incredible part. I got out of the hospital on my 17th birthday. So I, um, I got ill at Disney World and got out on my 17th birthday. Does it hit you right away? Like what you spoke about earlier about the idea that you now imagined – um, a shorter life, or did that not hit you until your mom passed? No, it absolutely it hit me. Um, I knew, I knew immediately that my world uh, and my lifespan was shorter. Uh, I grew up not only with mom, but in those days, you know, you couldn't hardly. Um, if you had a child with diabetes, it was very difficult to find somebody to care for. Mm-hmm. So my house was full of kids who would come into my mom's life, and she would be caregiver for a day, a week, a month, um, and and then they would leave. So I knew all these kids who were type one. Uh, I mean, uh, a mess of them, and. Um, so I saw all the regiment. I, I understood the regiment. I, I saw it. I, um, I saw my mom and I also saw the horrific toll 
It was taking on my mom's life. Um, and so I, I knew, I knew instantly. Do you have any anger about it? Was it? Oh yeah. It was, yeah. yeah is that how it manifested anger? And do you feel like you got depressed at any point? Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. And back uh, in the seventies, depression, nobody was talking about that. I would imagine. Yeah. Nobody was talking about it. It took, uh, it took until, oh, um, maybe probably took until 92 till I started seeing a therapist. And, um, this is how angry I was. I didn't see a doctor. When I'm sorry, you didn't see a doctor when 20 years. Oh my gosh. So where did you get your? How did you get your insulin and and your needles? You could buy you could buy it OT. It didn't matter. You just went and you bought it over the counter, and that was it. Yeah, you could buy it OTC, and you could buy your uh, syringes OT. And and there's no real onus on care. Like nobody's pushing you, or I mean, not even just family, but other you know doctors. Nobody. There's no follow up. Like where are you? You, you know, yeah. like yeah, you know, my daughter was diagnosed, and three days later, I was getting phone calls. You need to call and make more appointments. You need, like that kind of thing didn't happen. Yeah. 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 Um, um, I literally did not see a doctor for 20 years. I would get hurt and I would tough it out. I wouldn't see a damn doctor. Okay. So you, uh, you, even if you did something that was aside from diabetes, you didn't want to go to a doctor. Yeah. I did not see any doctor. Yeah. I now, I now have. Rick, I'm sorry. You cut out. You now have what? I now have 16 doctors. <laughs> Um, but, but in those days, <laughs> in those that might days, be karma catching up to you, right? <laughs> you, <might have> got, <laughs> you know, in those days, I truthfully, I, I was hell bent on on living. Yeah, and that's just the way it was. So you just push through. Like, so, yeah. and, and not only that, but that's a. I mean, that's a, that's a mindset from that time. Even I, you know, I, I've spoken about it a little bit before, you know, I was born in the, in the early seventies, but my parents are, you know, were of probably the generation just, I'm going to say before yours maybe. And you know, we didn't have any money growing up and there was no, there was no time to feel sorry for yourself. There was no even time to really consider yourself. You know, there was just get up, go do what needs to be done go to sleep so you can do it again. You know, th that, that kind of an idea, you get hurt, you keep going. I, I, uh, when I was a teenager, I didn't have medical insurance and, uh, I got, I was on a motorcycle. I got hit by a car and I separated my shoulder. I didn't even go to a doctor for that. And yeah. I still have a pretty big lump on my right shoulder that I'm assuming I'm going to have for the rest of my life. But it was, it was terrible pain, like really terrible pain. But I sat in my house and there was no option. You know, was I couldn't go. I didn't have cash. I wasn't going to go in debt over it. You, you know, it was just, it just wasn't an option to go to go see a doctor over something like that. I had my wisdom teeth pulled out when I was twenty, um, in a dentist chair. I went to the dentist for a cavity, Rick. I didn't have any dental insurance my entire life. Um, I'm about twenty years old and I'm having some pretty bad pain from my wisdom teeth, and and so I go to a dentist. And he says, well, you have to have your wisdom teeth taken out. You know, here's what you'll do. You'll go to the surgeon. I said, no, no, I can't do any of that. <laughs> and I said, um, what do you charge to pull a tooth? And he said, what? I said, cash. If, if I pointed to a tooth in my mouth. I said, if I had that tooth, I had to be pulled out. And I didn't have insurance. What would you charge me to pull it out? And he said, $50. I said, well, pull all my wisdom tooth out. I have 200 bucks. And he, go <laughs> and he goes, he goes no, we, we can't do that here. And I said, if you don't do it here, it's not happening. And so he loaded me up with, with Novocaine, he had an assistant come over and hold my head down by my forehead and basically stood over top of me on a chair like he was pulling a 400-foot-long carrot out of the ground and yanked <laughs> out my wisdom teeth. And I thanked him and gave him 200 bucks and left. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and, and that was just, that was it. That's what I had. You, you know, like that was, that was what I could do. And there's part of me that thinks that those experiences were really valuable, you know, like, like seriously valuable. And I think they're even valuable to my kids because now I watch my daughter with diabetes as an example, and she is resilient in a, in a way that you maybe don't see in people in 2016, 
you know, um, and, and maybe just because I grew up so crappy that, you know, when, when they get hurt, I don't even, sometimes I don't even look at them. I'm just like, okay, you figure it out. You'll be all right. You know, like, like, and if they, if they need my help, obviously Rick, they get my help, but, but I don't, I'm not the first one to run on the field. If somebody gets hit with a baseball, that's for sure. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a third part of my diagnosis story. I got out of the hospital, um, as I said, on my birthday. Uh, 20 days later, I left for a 30, uh, 30-day backpacking trip. Um, you know, my parents were, well, you know, you kind of know what to do and, and take off. Um, and, and that was fine. Yeah. That, that, there's no way most of the people I've met through through the diabetes world would let their kid do something like that nowadays. Like oh, some no. of some of them would, but most of them would not. And and how did it work out for you? It was fine. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, the bear almost got my insulin. Um, <laughs> That's not a euphemism. An actual bear almost took your insulin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, we had bear bags and. Uh, they were nylon bags. You'd hoist them up in the tree at night uh, because the bears would come in and and uh, steal your food. So uh, we hoisted up these bear bags, and I put my insulin, uh, which seemed to me to be the wise thing, uh, because you know you can smell insulin, and and bears react to scent. So I I put it up. Well, this bear climbed the tree, jumped off of it. Uh, put his claw through bear bag, ripped it apart. Uh, the food fell down. The insulin fell down. It was in a little thermos. Uh, he picked it up and uh, picked up the food and disappeared over the hill. Well, he left the insulin. Uh, and my uh, vial of regular and my vial of lente. Um, uh, uh, was in the little thermos I was packed. Just sitting there. Thank God the bear wasn't diabetic. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, so, that's that's hilarious. So we backpacked back to the place to get some food because we were pretty much out. And uh, I was, we were telling the guy about it. And he said, well, um, you ran into the kamikaze bears. Kamikaze, yeah, those are the bears that jump out of trees. Jump out of trees. <laughs> <laughs> no, no concern for their own safety. They just want the food. Wow, that's great. Oh my gosh. Um, well, so tell me like a little bit about today. Like you said, you test a lot, even though you have a CGM. You've you've got an A1C under six, which is spectacular. Are you, you know, you know? I try to explain to people that. I feel like it's more about bumping the CGM line around, like keeping it in line. Like earlier in the in the interview, my you could have heard a a high alarm from Arden's CGM, but that was because her blood sugar, you know, drifted to 140. So, you know, we've we've pushed it back, and and now just a half hour later, now it's 126. I made like a small bump to it. I can see it falling. My hopeful goal is to have her around 95 when we pre bolus for lunch in like an hour. So, um, is it more like that for you? Or are you, are you like a ninja with the diabetes now at this point or? No, because- I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was a ninja, but I try to keep it. Um, uh, I try to keep it between 80 and 140, and I'm pretty successful at it. Um, as, as a person ages, the, um, upper end of control uh, you know, I tend to lose that at some point. Uh, Explain that a little bit. Uh, particularly in the early morning. Um, I can't see uh, my endocrinologist and diabetes educator and I cannot seem to get the insulin balance correctly to take care of the morning liver dump. And... Um, it happens some days and it doesn't happen others. So you don't want to set up just a, a across the board, like right. temp basal that's maybe a hundred percent increase or something like that, because for the morning when you try to sleep in, it doesn't happen or something to that right. effect. Yeah. So, so like bolus for it and wait. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I get up at least once during the night and take my blood sugar and then bolus to uh, correct it or not correct it. Um, and then I watch it really closely in the morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. I watch it really closely in the morning. And usually by lunch, I've got all that worked out and cruise pretty well the rest of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's so, there's so much to be like, to be learned from like a, a lifetime of managing diabetes. There really is. And, and, and what I would say is that, that I think that fear is such a big motivator for how people handle insulin. And I understand it, especially in the beginning, but do you agree with me is, do you have to, you have to live your life with diabetes without being afraid of it? Is that, do you think that's, that's a, accurate? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Because um, you, you can't handle anything if you're afraid. The highs aren't manageable. The lows aren't, nothing's manageable. You can't, you can't be active. You can't, everything gets tainted by it. And, and please, I'd like you to talk about that. Well, I, I really learned that from my mom. Um, my mom was um, absolutely fearless about lows, and, and I am too. Um, you know, we've, she, she figured when she would have a low, she could correct it. And if she couldn't correct it, somebody else would correct it. And that's the way I learned diabetes. Uh, that's that's the way I learned to manage it. And uh, my wife, on the other hand, is fearful of lows, um, mainly because she's seen me um, in situations where she could not correct it. Um, so I I I am just I, I'm not afraid of it. Um, I figure it's going whatever's going to happen is happening. And um, I'm certainly not afraid of lows. And and has the CGM made that even more of a solid thought for you? Yes, the CGM is uh, an absolute game changer. Uh, people do not understand what the quality of that uh, device is uh, for a person's life with diabetes. Um, it it is. It is an absolute game changer. Yeah, I, I try to say as as kind of like shockingly as I can. It's you know, if you're thinking of it as a don't die alarm, you're you're significantly underestimating its value to you. It's yeah. not, it's not just to go off and tell you your your blood sugar is about to get low. Um, yeah, no, yeah. it is a it is an absolute management tool that works um, works as hard as you work to manage your diabetes. There's it's just being able to cut off a, a spike, you know, you know, having Arden's, you know, high threshold set at 140, you see what just happened here is she starts drifting up. If, if that threshold set at 200, then nothing beeps until she's 200. But now you get a little message at 140. Hey, you can make a tiny little insulin adjustment. You know, I gave her 0.4 units. I mean, she weighs 80 pounds, but, um, excuse me, I gave her 0.4 and you know, 45 minutes later, her blood sugar is now 120. It's drifting back down again. If I wait till it gets to 200 or some people's lines, I've seen it 250 or 300 or 500. I don't you might as well not have it at that point. You know, if you're waiting till your blood sugar gets that high, then now you're involved in a, a huge amount of insulin, a huge amount of time. You're hydrating. You're in, a, you're in a real issue. And, you know, I'll say it over and over again here. It is far easier to stop a falling blood sugar or to control a low blood sugar than it is to affect a high one. And, yeah. you know, you just, if you're, you know, if you're, you know, some people's like, oh, I always get stuck on the roller coaster. Well, you're, you, you bolus and then you wait too long to figure out what's going on next, or you eat and you wait too long to figure out what's happening. You have to, it's sort of in the moment, you, you, you know, you can't, once you're doing it later and, you know, you said something earlier that, that really struck a chord with me because I started saying a couple of months ago to people that that you have to attack diabetes. You can't wait for it to attack you. You, you know, if, if you wait for diabetes to do something and you respond to it, 
then all of that information from that moment is lost. It's not actionable because something happened to you. It's like getting hit. You put your hands up. You don't know what happened. You're just trying to outlast it and then something stopped punching eventually. But if you punch first, if you do something to diabetes, then what happens to your blood sugar is now actionable information. My blood sugar was this. I put this much insulin in. This is what happened. Maybe I got too low. Maybe I didn't get low enough. But now I know for next time when my blood sugar is like that, I want to use this much insulin or this much for pre-bolus or, you know, whatever it ends up being. If you take the action, then the re- the result is information you can use next time. You, you, yeah. know, you know, I just, and it doesn't take that long to amass that information in a way that you can use it in a valuable way. You know, I, I, I point a lot to a blog post on my blog about Arden eating this giant pancake breakfast with her girlfriends. And there's all these sort of like arrows on the CGM graph. It's like, here I put in this much insulin, here I put in this much. And somebody said, wow, that looks like a lot of effort. And I wish, Rick, that I could properly convey how this, this graph that once it's printed out looks like, you know, a lot of thinking maybe encompassed 90 seconds or three minutes of my total thought that morning because of these other experiences that have all piled up now, not being afraid, being aggressive, you know, I, I kind of call it being bold with insulin, like, you know, being bold, not being afraid, leaning on the CGM and, and then taking this information back and making better decisions the next time. You know, I just yeah. think that's the whole thing, really. You know, we, uh, we become products of our own experimentation and there's nothing there's nothing more important in my mind than experimenting uh with diabetes uh your your own experimentation it's how you're going to figure it out you learn learn so much by doing that uh it is never cut and dry it is it is a continuing experiment it has been for me for 42 years. Yep. And that's the, and if you're the parent of a child with diabetes, that that's really the, that's the feeling you need to leave them with. Not, you know, Hey, we set this up. It's going to be fine. Go, go, go. You know, you don't have to burden them with the moment to moment details, but I let my daughter know, like, look, you know, we make adjustments to things. This doesn't stay this way all the time. You know, so just because you go to bed at 10 o'clock and wait up, wake up at eight o'clock, doesn't mean something didn't happen overnight, you know, it's and not to make her, you know, feel bad or anything like that. I, I don't like, it's not a guilt thing, but I'm, you know, Hey, your blood sugar shot up at two o'clock. It needed this much insulin just so that in her back of her mind, as she becomes an adult, she's aware of that. And, and that right. seems like something that she might need to be aware of. It's a very, um, you can't insulate them too much and you don't want to panic them at the same time. So sort of a balance. Sometimes it's just the way you say things to kids that, you know, they have an understanding. I can't, um, you know, we had an experience this weekend, uh, that I'm going to talk about. I'm, I think I'll probably just do like a standalone like podcast of just me talking for about 10 or 15 minutes about it, but I don't want to bother you about it, but it was one of those moments where if I would have been afraid or panicked or not had the experience that I had, this, this situation would have gone just sideways in a terrible way and instead it almost wasn't a blip and and um and so i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna tell that at some point but so but give me one of your examples so tell me tell me something that's happened to you that you think other people would have just you know lost it over but you handled it well and how you handled it i'm interested because you've just you've had a lifetime of experience here uh i um i was in chicago on a business trip uh, before I had my pump and I not have uh, syringes. And um, this was a time when you could not walk into a, a pharmacy and, and buy syringes. Um, and so, you know, what do you do? Well, first of all, you realize that um, you have one syringe because you used it the uh, the morning you left, and you put it in the bag. And while it's not the healthiest thing, if you can't buy another syringe, you have one that you can continue to use uh, that will get you through. Second thing is you realize that if you call your doctor and say, "Hey, 
I'm up here in Chicago and I don't have a syringe. Let's uh, let's think about how you can get a syringe. Well, the doctor said, uh, no problem. I'll call the emergency room at a local hospital and they'll, uh, they'll sell you or give you a package of 10. I went in, they gave me 20, you know? Um, so you have to, you have to be resourceful. You can't just fall apart. Yeah. You can't just throw your hands up in the air. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was on another business trip and I broke uh, a vial of insulin, and so, and I didn't have didn't have placement insulin. Um, so again, I called my doctor and said, "Hey, um, I need a vial of insulin." And they were able to scramble around and got a prescription for me at a place I was going to, um, and. And that worked out fine. Another one, uh, I was down in Florida and I didn't have, um, we were, my wife and I were down there for two weeks and I'd only, uh, bought enough, um, pump sets for, um, nine days. Uh, some, somehow I didn't. Well, you know, what do you do? You call Medtronic and Medtronic was kind enough to send me replacements. Uh, not replacements, but additions. And um, you have to have a place you're going to send them to. So they, um, I, I found a local UPS store, and they sent them there, and I went in and picked them up. Yeah. You, you have to be resourceful. It's funny. You know, we didn't pre-plan. I just came up with that question on the fly, and you have, you probably could tell these stories for another hour because you've lived with it for long enough, and things are going to happen. You know, they just, they just are. And you, you know, I think the message is it's more for, for newly diagnosed people or people who are newer to it, because, you know, in the beginning, you're so flooded with these thoughts of like, what if this happens? What if that happens? What do I do if this happens? I, I have a message from a woman I have to answer. Like, you know, her kids go into her first practice for a sport. And I don't know what to do. What should she eat first? But I told her, I'm like, just call me because my advice is going to be, do nothing and see what happens. And then next time adjust, you, you know, like, you know, be prepared, have a little, you know, fast acting car with you um, and everything. But she's, she's so concerned about like that something bad's going to happen. And the, the fact of the matter is, is nothing might happen. You, you know, like if you spend your time wondering what's going to go wrong, that'll make you crazy. And at the same time, you know, I was newly, I had a newly diagnosed child at one point. I understand that your brain is flooded with those ideas. What if, what if, what if it's your job to fight off the what ifs and, and find a way not to let them just absorb every ounce of your thought, you know? You know, uh, I think back to my mom, um, there, there was a time, Scott, when mom and dad, Insurance bought my mom a new set of glass uh, syringes. And she had not had them very long. You know, she, she was pretty proud of her glass syringes. Uh, th there weren't any plastic. And she dropped them. And they shattered across the floor. My mom was so upset. Um, she didn't have the old syringes to go back to, and insurance wasn't going to buy her a new set. And um, I'll, I'll never forget mom being on the floor trying, thinking that she might be able to piece them back together. Well, obviously that wasn't going to work. So um, dad went down to the local pharmacy. And he told the pharmacist what had happened. He said, we, we can't afford the uh, $400 to buy a new set of syringes. Uh, that was in the, in the mid-60s, and $400 was a big amount of money. And um, the pharmacist um, uh, sold mom and dad a new set of glass syringes on, on uh, time payment. 
they had to pay five bucks a week until they got them paid off. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the, the thing I learned about that was don't fold your tent. You know, stuff happens. And thank God there was a pharmacist who was willing to do that. But also thank God that um, mom and dad were brave enough to step up and say, you know, we, we've got a problem. Here. Hey, Rick, I'm going to tell you right now, I've been married to a woman for 20 years who is so far out of my league that I have no business even knowing her. And it was because I was just like, what could it hurt to ask? You, you, yeah. you know, you know, just really like, let me, I mean, let me, and let me push. And trust me, she didn't say yes the first time. I, I have a similar story to you. She turned me down a number of times. And, and just, it just never occurred to me. I'm like, I wasn't hassling her. But at some point, like it, it what's it hurt to ask? What does it hurt to go to the pharmacy and tell the person, look, there's my honest story. This is what's going on. Help me, please, if you can. And, you know, humanity takes over many, many times. Um, you know, there's a, there's a big push in the community right now. We're coming up on an hour, but there's a big push in the community right now on the heels of the EpiPen news where people are really, you know, screaming about the cost of insulin right now. And insulin's really expensive. It's terribly expensive. And not everyone has insurance, and that in itself is a travesty. Um, but... You know, in my in my view, that's just the system at this point. You know, you can you can be upset and you can point out that it's wrong and you are right, but in this moment, that's not going to help you. You know, you know, the, the government's not going to look up tomorrow and go, "Oh my gosh, did you know insulin was expensive? We our, it must be our regulations on the on the industry. We'll uh, we'll fix that right now. That that's not happening. So in this moment, I mean, yell and scream and be an advocate, but you got to find your own way through this, just like anything else, just like your mom did, you, you know, like you can't just sit back and wait for, and it must seem like if, you know, if, if I didn't have insurance and I heard somebody say that, I'd be like, I might think, you know, go to hell. Like, what am I going to do? But something, I, th I guess that is the answer. A lot of times do something, you know, and if that doesn't work, do something else. And, and yeah. you know what I mean? And there might not be an answer to what something is, but something is, is just, Put yourself in the world and keep asking, I think. Well, I think that I, I also think our community is very generous. And um, I think that I think that if a person is, uh, I think if a person needs insulin and identifies that in our communities, I truly believe that insulin will make it to them. People speak up and, and, and try yeah. to help. Yeah. I've sent supplies a couple times across the country for people who I knew were in trouble. Uh, you know, I was, I have been part of collecting um, in former cities um, where we formed a, a small collective of, of people with diabetes and worked with a couple or three doctors and hospitals and were able to transfer uh, nearly expired supplies um, to people who needed them uh, so long as uh, the person who received them didn't know where they were coming from, uh, didn't know um, uh, exactly why they were getting them except that they needed them. You know, um, and I just truly believe that if you identify that you have a, uh, an issue to a doctor, to EE, um, to other patients, uh, I, I believe, I believe that if you have a true need, uh, that need will be met. Yeah. See, I, that, that's pretty much what I'm saying is that's fantastic that, that, you were able to put that together and, and, and you're, you've crystallized my thoughts. Exactly. If you call a physician and say, look, I, my kid, my, this, my mom, we don't have any insulin. They're not using insulin right now. I need help. Well, and so I ended up just putting up a blog post on, on my, my site because it's a very short blog post with three links because three of the major insulin manufacturers, if you're in that situation, they will give you free insulin. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I know that to be true from, from many different ways. 
And no one gives that as advice ever. Like, hey, there's a patient assistance program. It's not, you know, you don't snap your fingers and insulin appears in front of you, but you fill out something, you click on a form. You, it's not, it's not that, it's not that obtrusive. You know what I mean? So it, it's definitely worth trying. And so I hope people try it. I hope that people don't give up. I hope that that there are, aren't people who think that because I'm trying to be an advocate for the situation and kind of, and, you know, and screaming into social media and, and, and in a very focused way and, and, and making a great point, that's not enough all the time, you know, and insulin should be more, listen, Rick, everything should be more affordable. I got to get some concrete put behind my house. I wish that was more affordable. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I, you know, I want everything to be more affordable. I want the world to be a nicer place. Um, I have some fairly liberal views about things and, and at the same time, I still have to live in the world that exists right here. So, yeah. you know, that's a little, well, we went way over an hour already. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm taking, okay. taking up your time. Uh, I, um, I want to, if you don't mind, I'll end with a plug about RA blog week. Yeah, please. What do you got coming? And when, and when is that? So, so I'll know when to get this out for you. RA Blog Week starts on September 26th. It goes until October 2nd. Um, the uh, Blog Week um, is a takeoff uh, from eBlog Week. Uh, Karen is a friend of mine, and um, I have been so taken by eBlog that uh, I asked Karen if she would mind if I started RA Blog. Uh, and she said, um, she said, go ahead. And so this is our second year for RA blog week. Uh, the RA community is significantly smaller than diabetes. Uh, but we will have, uh, between 30 and 40 bloggers. Uh, we'll write on, uh, prompts that are, um, obviously connected to RA. Uh, we have received an awful lot of really nice um, support um, from the diabetes community. Uh, we do we do things a little differently in the RA. Uh, we actually start in June or July, uh, selecting our badge and banner, and. Um, we we ask uh, we ask people to help us select those, and I know that a number of people with diabetes voted with us, select our badge and banner, and then we um, uh, we vote to select our prompt. And I know that a number of people with diabetes voted to help us select our prompts this year. Do you know what they are? Can you tell me? Uh, don't know them right off. No, it's okay. It's, but so, uh, but where do they go? They go to radiabetes.com and, and that's uh-huh. where the information is. Yeah. Huge thanks to Omnipod and Santa Claus for sponsoring this episode. Myomnipod.com forward slash demo to get your free no obligation demo today. Big thank you to Rick for being so open and honest and sharing his story on the podcast. Going to be a new podcast every week right up until the new year. And no fretting. Don't worry. The Juicebox Podcast has secured advertising for 2017, and we're going to be going strong every week, getting out a show. If you want to be on the Juicebox Podcast, recordings are going to begin again in January. Reach out through the blog. Find me on the social media. Say something like, hey, Scott, I'd like to be on the Juicebox Podcast. That's pretty much all it takes. I, I was really captured early on when when your your wife was just at such a young age was just so willing to kind of get on that ride with you where you're like, Hey, I'm going to die soon. Let's get married and make some kids. (laughs) She's like, like, okay, let's do it. I mean, it's not much of an offer, Rick. I'm going to be honest. (laughs)